0: Live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Let's go. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up. Turn it, up. Turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christie.
1: Howdy! Welcome to episode sixty of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christie. Hello, Cameron. (laughs) Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada and online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter, digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word and you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our newsletter at prlawpodcast.club. Ewan? Happy Dragon Boat Festival. It is a holiday in Hong Kong.
2: Oh, well, lucky you. Lucky you. So have you been out in your dragon boat yet today? Another one.
1: No, I have not. (laughs) Although it looks spectacular outside at the moment. I think uh, there's going to be some crowded beaches today because uh, it feels like COVID's gone here now. And uh, yeah, when you've got 34 degrees and sunshine, uh, yeah, that calls for getting in the water somewhere.
2: Well, that's nice. Uh, I mean, it was it was a beautiful day for much of the day here, but I I squandered it in front of the television watching Euro. Football oh
1: yeah, <laughs> right. Well, this is like we're getting closer too to the World Cup here too. Like, how, how's how's it going? And how big is it? Like, I know. Well, soccer is huge in Toronto. Well,
2: yeah, it is. It's um, it's been. I, I mean, this is an amazing tournament to watch if you're in if you're into football, and it's it's sort of a weird. I mean like, like all sort of sports in the context of COVID it's been a little bizarre because it's the games are being played at multiple locations, um, in multiple countries. So, you know, I watched England play at Wembley stadium in London. I watched the Dutch play in Amsterdam, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but, um, it's just, oh, it's so nice. It's such a great, it's been such a, such a great tournament to watch. Um, I probably watch more, uh, more sports over this weekend than I've watched in the last, I don't know, six, eight months combined.
1: I've watched more sports this year, too. I mean, I'm not a huge sports fan, but I follow a lot of things sort of recreationally. But I think I mentioned like I've been watching the Blue Jays a lot and I haven't followed them for decades, really. Um, But I've been I've been into their team this year. But, you know, the other thing you and just on that soccer question, I mean, it was I think and I was always brought up to believe that Vancouver was kind of the soccer center of Canada. And they had a a successful local team there for a long time. And uh, they had the head of CONCACAF uh, on a radio interview that I heard just a few days ago. And he hails from Vancouver, actually, the head of CONCACAF. And he was asked point blank about, you know, the support in Canada. And and is Vancouver still the, the number one city for soccer? And he said, absolutely not. He said, it's Toronto. He said, they've taken that mantle. He said, they're big into it. Toronto FC has done really well, and um, they're for sure. You know, they, they they have the mantle as the top talker, soccer city in the country.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. It's been a pretty incredible development here in here in the city. You know, I I remember one time going to see uh, a TFC match. And I'd hopped on the bus and this is the Dufferin bus for anybody living in Toronto. (laughs) Shout out to the Dufferin bus, (laughs) but um, sort of started more in the Northern end of the city cam and it just heads all the way downtown right to the stadium. And of course it's picking up many, many passengers along the way, but what was really, really remarkable and it was one of those moments where sort of just boasting with a sense of pride um, for living in Toronto is by the time we reached the stadium, there was probably and this isn't this isn't hyperbole. This is probably actually around factual about eight different languages being spoken on that bus. And I thought this this is the Toronto that I know and love. It's so remarkably multicultural and multi-ethnic. And it's insane. And what's the common bond here? What's the common love? Football. We're all going to sit sit in the stadium watch the match and just a really fantastic experience, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's um it's also growing really quickly in the U.S. too, in cities like Atlanta, which are getting big uh, big crowds out. But you and I, I think we'll uh we'll we'll move on from the soccer talk before we lose all of our listeners.
0: Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word: P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to ask us at PR That's all one word: ask us at prlawpodcast.com or on social media with the hashtag prlawpod that's hashtag p-r-l-a-w-p-o-d
1: all right what's up
2: you know cam i wanted to talk about alternative dispute resolution Mm. we spend a lot of time on this show (laughs) talking about disputes litigation suing people all of that nasty 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 business But, you know, there's a flip side to that coin. And that is the different methods of alternative dispute resolution. And one in particular that is really sort of dominant in litigation circles, and that's mediation. And, you know, here in the city of Toronto, for example, Cam, mediation is mandatory. So if you sue someone, you cannot get to trial until you have engaged
1: in that mandatory mediation process. So what is mediation exactly for people who might not be familiar?
2: So mediation is a neutral arbiter that's brought in in an attempt to resolve a dispute between two or more parties. So, you know, what does that practically look like? Well, what it means is one party Engages with the other party. They show up somewhere on a on a on a scheduled day to meet with a mediator. They effectively plead their case to this mediator. The other side pleads the case to the mediator. They more often than not sit in the same room and they have an opportunity to, you know, express their grievance to that mediator, express their grievance to the other party. And then that individual, that mediator who is neutral in this entire process, they do not have a horse in this race, Mm -hmm. effectively attempts to help them resolve the dispute between them. Now, why why would you do this? Well, you know, there's a whole, (laughs) there's a whole host of reasons as to why you would engage in this process, Cam, as opposed to just getting in front of a judge and trying to litigate your matter in court. First of all, it's it's significantly cheaper mm-hmm. paying a mediator for a few hours of work as opposed to, you know, both sides lawyering up, uh, exchanging pleadings because you can have pre-trial mediate or pre litigation mediations. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and commencing the litigation process is extraordinarily expensive. So it's a lot cheaper going down this road than going to trial, which can take you know, an exorbitant amount of time. And that moves on to the next advantage, Cam, which is it's way faster. It's just so much faster. I mean, you can you can reach a resolution, generally speaking, within a half days mediation. That's the majority of of, of matters, at least in employment circles are settled in a half day, um, as opposed to having to wait for a trial date and then ultimately engage in a trial, which could take, you know, after you've, called all of your witnesses could take several days. Mm-hmm. It's it, or longer. It just drags mm-hmm. or longer and you can wait years for trial dates. Um, so, I mean, that's really not a particularly practical resolution.
1: So, I mean, when would two parties go down this 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 route? Because I assume if you are an employee in a dispute with your employer, that there's no recourse to mediation generally, or is that in contracts or, or how does that work? Or is it normally two organizations that would go down this path?
2: Well, it, it depends. I mean, it, it more often than not in, in sort of an employment context, it's yeah, it's an employer who has sued an employee or an employee who has sued an employer and you get in front of a mediator in an attempt to, to resolve the dispute. Um, keep in mind, and this is another advantage, mediation is strictly confidential. So whatever is said between the parties in the confines of that mediation, it cannot be repeated. It doesn't leave the room. You cannot rely on any of that information at trial if your matter doesn't ultimately settle and it, it proceeds to trial. So it's really a safe space to sort of express whatever your issues are in litigation to talk about the merits, the strengths, the weaknesses of your claim in in a strictly confidential environment um, where you don't have to worry about it being being you know made public, because again, that's the thing that people don't always keep in mind. You know, a lot of people they, they you know, a lot of clients I meet with, be it employer, or employee, but more often than not, employees they're angry um, and often for very good reason. But as soon as we go down that road of drafting a claim, serving and issuing that claim, that claim is now a matter of public record. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not usually an issue in sort of, you know, um, in, in the majority of cases. But if it happened to be a high profile individual, a high profile company, um, if it was a, a, a particularly salacious fact pattern or something that the news might be interested in. That's a matter of public record. The mediation process is not. So the mediation process can also buy you discretion. And that can be a very, very, very valuable advantage. To both sides, employer or employee.
1: Yeah, there's a communications angle to that, too, you, when you start talking about things being in the public domain, because and people may not know this, but I mean, if there is a dispute either between companies or within, I mean, one option is to put out an announcement that this is happening. If you think it's going to be something, you know, in public or, or, or fought through the public or, you know, oftentimes companies try and keep this quiet. But as you say, the minute you file something, it actually turns up somewhere. And reporters go through these filings every day in most cities in courthouses, looking for these kinds of things. And it is often how these stories are discovered and then put onto the news. And in fact, I, I used to do that uh, to some degree way back when I was in journalism school. You know, I'd hang out at the at the at the courts in Vancouver and go through the day's filings to see if there's anything interesting in there that might make a good story. So. Yeah, by going to to, to mediation, you, you keep yourself out of out of the public eye. But you and I mean it sounds good. I mean, you're making a, a good case for mediation. W- why aren't more disputes resolved this way? Why aren't more people turning to it?
2: Well, I think there's sort of a few reasons. I mean, one is people's general understanding of how the litigation process works, right? They want their pound of flesh. They want their day in court. They're angry. Um, So education is, is part of it. I mean, everybody has watched sort of court procedurals. You know, we've all seen our episodes of law and order suits or fill in the blank. Um, We have all these preconceived notions of what suing someone and a court process is, supposed to be and what that looks like, however, you know, fictitious and sensationalized it might be on television. Very, very rarely does the mediation aspect, you know, sort of find its way into these programs. So I think that's part of it, is is just a simple educational perspective. Um, You know, secondly, we need, I think we need more jurisdictions in the common law world that make mediation a mandatory part of Mm. the process right? I think that that is absolutely part of it. When you're sort of forced to engage in the process, whether you like it or not, um, you know, that is how it's going to sort of grow and become part of the cultural process within a legal industry. So I think that that's part of it as well. But, you know, one thing I would encourage employers to do is to think about, the pre-litigation mediation. So, you know, more often than not, the mediation occurs after litigation has already been commenced, right? We've already exchanged our pleadings. Mm -hmm. You know, I've served you with my statement of claim. You've served me with your statement of defense, so on and so forth. And we're now attending a mediation in an attempt to avoid a trial further down the road. But, you know, there's another way to go about that, and that is to actually try and engage in the mediation process before you even exchange pleadings. And in in employment law, more often than not, not all the time, but, you know, a a good percentage of the time where an employee is contemplating suing an employer, you know, if they've retained counsel, that counsel will often draft a demand letter. So it's not a pleading, it's Mm -hmm. a demand letter. It's, It's typically sent on a without prejudice basis. The employer means- reads that. Well, it means that it can't be relied on for the purposes of of, of court proceedings further down the road. Okay. So, without prejudice letter, um, that's typically how that is done. In terms of, hey, let's try and reach a resolution here. But if we can't reach a resolution here, I'm going to sue you. That's really the point yeah. of the it's demand aggressive. letter. It's yeah. a threat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a lot of employers could be doing when they receive those letters and there are strategic reasons to do this and certainly some strategic reasons not to do it depending on the context is you could very well get your lawyer to pick up the phone call counsel for that employee and suggest a pre-litigation mediation where the parties get together with a mediator before they've even had an opportunity to exchange pleadings and again the advantage cam is a a few things one it's cheaper We haven't had to pay lawyers to draft pleadings yet. B, it's discreet. It's not a matter of public record. We can sort of keep it quiet if there's an advantage to keeping quiet. C, it's faster. Um, And also, you know, one of the things that's really important through this process for a lot of employees is the emotional benefits, right? They want to be heard. And a mediation is a really good and at least can be a really good opportunity to do that, to be heard. Mm -hmm. Maybe all they need is to hear an apology from their employer for a wrong that they feel has been inflicted upon them or vice versa, right? An employer who's contemplating suing an employee, maybe all they need is to sit across from that employee and hear that employee acknowledge that, you know what? Yeah, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. I'm terribly sorry about it. And it brings a sense of closure, mm-hmm. a sense of closure that we can all sort of relate to in terms of having to have those mea culpas with friends, family members, people that we're close with, um, whereas the litigation process is terribly Cold, yeah, <laughs> distant, unpleasant. You're not you're yeah. not getting into a room with that individual early on, and and having that opportunity to to sort of say your piece,
1: right? And I mean, so I mean, in in a, in essence, then, I mean, basically, mediation is a, is a, is a third party hearing out both sides, letting both sides make their case, and and trying to find some common ground before before going to court, which, as you say, is is a much more uh, aggressive and unpleasant. Process. I mean, if you can work it out through 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 mediation, it's, it's going to be much better for everyone, probably. Um, yeah, it sounds like something that probably should be used a, a, a lot more, uh, Ewan. I mean, if if there's employees listening who who have some some dispute at their company, is there a way? And I guess this is region specific, but I mean. Are they able to even just reach out directly to try and find a mediator or is this something that has to go through the company or or what kind of process would you recommend?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it all depends on how the company deals with these sorts of disputes. Um, You know, often companies will have two employees if it's if it's an issue between two employees at a company sit down with an HR rep and try and talk them out. And sometimes, you know, HR reps will have some, some, some training in this regard.
1: They are not really an unbiased or neutral third party. Exactly. Uh, And
2: that, and, and you hit the nail on the head right there, Cam, you you beat me to the point. They're not really neutral. They work for the company. They have inherently, they have a horse in the fight, right. Mm -hmm. Or in the race, excuse me, I'm mixing metaphors now. Um, yeah, it's a. It, that's always going to be inherently problematic. The mediator is objective and removed from the process by definition. So, you know, could an employer bring a mediator in? Absolutely, and I think you know, often it's a very, very good solution. Where you know, if if there's any sort of weakness to that, well you know, if you're an employee, for example, and you're having a dispute with your employer and they bring in a mediator, who is this mediator? Is this somebody that the employer consistently uses? Is this someone where, you know, that particular mediator, although they're coming in and they're supposed to be objective, they know what side their bread's buttered on, um, in that they're continuing to get work from that employer and are therefore motivated to get a resolution that's favorable to the employer. Sometimes that can be the case. Um, But I would probably argue that that's still a better solution or at least a better solution to initially explore before things get out of hand Mm -hmm. and we have people exchanging pleadings and suing each other.
1: Right. Because sometimes there's no going back once all of that starts. Um, Any other points on this you want to make, Ewan? Just be open-minded about
2: it. Be Mm -hmm. open-minded about the process Um, and – And understand that this can really be to everybody's benefit, regardless of what the dispute is, regardless of whether you're the employer or on for the employee, that, you know, mediation is a fantastic alternative where both parties have the opportunity to win, or as a lot of mediators like to say, both parties at least end up leaving disappointed.
0: Show your support to the PR and Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRandLawPodcast.com. That's PRandLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out.
1: You and one trend that we're seeing this year, and I think – We've touched on actually in past shows, which is employees are speaking up a lot more uh, about how companies are run, how the workplace environment is set up. You know, we even talked about this last week uh, when, you know, Apple staff rejected uh, a plan that allowed uh, two days a week working from home or working remotely. And they felt that that wasn't enough. And I, I don't know if you're familiar Ewan with the Reply All podcast, which is probably one of the one of the biggest podcasts out there. But they had an issue earlier this year uh, as well when they had produced a series uh, looking at discrimination at uh, Bon Appetit magazine. Um, and it was uh, it was a very cutting series, but it turned out that the employees at Gimlet and Reply All felt that you know they themselves were in a in a situation where there was discrimination and an unhealthy work environment and and they raised it and and those hosts were kicked out there's actually a lot of a uh, lot of examples of this i guess you're probably seeing it too from your side i don't know if this is a sort of a result of the pandemic or the economy or what but it looks like this is a trend
2: yeah i think it is i think part of it is we have people working from home, right? These are often conversations that employees would engage in either at work or after work at, you know, at a bar or pub or a restaurant, coffee shop, what have you. Um, and they're not really able to do that and sort of engage in these discussions. And so I think a lot of them have moved to online forums, um, be it a bunch of employees jumping on a Zoom call or through Signal, WhatsApp, you know these these so these sorts of methods, and they're sort of exploring these disputes virtually, and then putting a virtual sort of um, argument together to then send off to the employer. I, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to say if is to see if this will continue when employees are going back, if they are going back, if you are working for a company that's going back. But I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's reflective of the sort of virtual arena that's resulted from the pandemic.
1: Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's the the, the broader trend, right? It's almost in a way, almost like collective bargaining without a union. Um, but then there's the specific, and I want to go into a specific case today, Ewan, and it pertains to BrewDog. Uh, one of the great, I guess, local bre- brewers in the UK from Scotland, actually.
2: As I understand – actually, as I understand, I think they um, got their start – in, in Aberdeen. And I hope I got this right. My brother and my sister-in-law live in Aberdeen and they took me to a brew dog when I was there. But to your point they're they are all over the UK, yeah, right? Yeah, you can, you big. can buy yeah. their, their, their beer in, in stores, but you can also visit. They also have you know, sort of pubs that pour draft as well.
1: Right. So they, I mean, they, they came on board around two, 2007, 2008. Uh, you know, they've become quite popular brew dog beers that can be found uh, in many places around the world, including here in Hong Kong. And it has been known as a, as a fast paced kind of demanding company that's got a social justice bent to it to some degree. But, but whatever image the brewer had, it came crashing down uh, this week when a group of employees wrote a letter to the chief executive of BrewDog and painted a picture of just an awful and toxic workplace environment. So this letter was signed uh, by more than 70 former employees, and there were another 45 uh, members who did not feel safe to include their names or initials, according to the letter. So it's believed there's probably a mix here of people still there and people who uh, have left. And the letter is quite extraordinary. Uh, Ewan. I know you've had a chance to, to take a look at it. It's a little bit long, so I do want to just read a couple of sort of key, key uh, passages uh, in here. But basically, again, this is to the BrewDog chief executive, and they're angry about the workplace environment. Quote, the purpose of this letter is to make known the feelings of former staff regarding the atmosphere fostered at BrewDog since its inception, in the hope that it might explain why so many Allegations have been brought to light. BrewDog was and is built on a cult of personality. Since day one, you have sought to exploit publicity, both good and bad, to further your own business goals. Put bluntly, the single biggest shared experience of former staff is a residual feeling of fear. Fear to speak out about the atmosphere we were immersed in and fear of repercussions even after we have left. Some of us remain in the industry, some have moved on to pastures new. Some of us were made redundant, some left voluntarily because we felt it was time to get out before we could be pushed out. Regardless of where we are now or what we are doing, there is not one amongst us who feels entirely safe signing this letter. But despite the power your voice carries and the depth of your pockets when it comes to legal action, we believe it is time for us to share our experiences with the world. Now, Ewan, I've got one more passage here that really is directed very specifically to the chief executive. Quote, James, this next passage is for you. It is with you that the responsibility for this rotten culture lies. Your attitude and actions are at the heart of the way BrewDog is perceived from both inside and out. By valuing growth, speed, and action above all else, your company has achieved incredible things, but at the expense of those who delivered your dreams. In the wake of your success are people left burnt out, afraid, and miserable. The true culture of BrewDog is, and seemingly always has been, fear. You go on LinkedIn and claim the buck stops with you, but do you have the guts to look at the team you have built around you and admit that the overwhelming majority of them are quietly afraid that their next mistake could be their last at BrewDog? In the last few weeks, the silence has been deafening. This is not the time to try and quietly wait things out. What do you think? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, th- this letter, of course, was put together. We should, we should say the name. It's Punks with Purpose they're called, right? The, the, the group that drafted the letter.
0: Um,
1: Yeah. I don't know the affiliation there because it's not really mentioned. That's the domain URL that they are using. Um, mm -hmm. And and they have posted this online. I don't know if that term was used to just get a domain and post this somewhere or if there is some significance, but yeah, the, the group is calling themselves punks with purpose.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, when I hear something like that, I think what, first of all, you know, what was going on (laughs) internally um, that, that led to this because, you know, this is not the sort of thing that disgruntled employees do lightly. This isn't like, you know, going to um, what is it? Glass door and leaving a bad review for a business or Yelp or something like this. I mean, this was clearly coordinated and you've got enough employees that suggest that something very, very wrong was going on at this company, Um, bad enough that the executives, the top, most certainly were aware of the cultural issues and the issues um, that these employees are raising. I mean, it, it just strikes me as really, really problematic and very, very tone deaf that it got to this place before, you know, the company got involved in actually addressing it publicly.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated with this because I actually I think there's just so many layers to it. I mean, I I have read Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, which makes him out to be absolutely an awful human being. And I have no doubt that he was awful to to many people around him. But back then there wasn't the public channels available like this to to voice displeasure. Not that they would or wouldn't, and I'm not saying this is better or worse than than sort of the way Steve Jobs behaved. But I think that the, the, the fact that we have this ability now has also changed the game a little bit. I think there's a lot of factors at play. And I do think part of it might be economic, part is cultural. I mean, I think following, following the, the Me Too movement and a lot of other, even the social justice movements in the US, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, I, I do think there's people that feel more empowered to stand up even when they are scared. I, I just think there's a lot that goes into something like this, but indisputably this is happening more often. We are seeing staff, you know, band together more often. And I know that this has executives worried. I mean, in the past, you could keep things in house most of the time. And, you know, people were worried about attaching their name to something, you know, they didn't want to burn bridges. I mean, there were all kinds of sort of restraints in place to prevent sort of a public humiliation this way. But this is this is deeply concerning for people at the heads of companies because they're starting to realize, you know, they're going to have to behave internally the way that they're expected to behave externally, which is, you know, with respect and being humble and 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 not causing problems, not not driving wedges between people. It's a it, it's a big change. Yeah, I
2: completely agree. And also, you know, I think for a lot of employers the expectation for the, for the longest time was, well, let's pay them well and give them good benefits. And that's the extent of what we have to do. And, you know, employees of the incoming generation have sort of resoundingly stated, well, that's not good enough. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the benefits. Um, We need workplace policies and procedures that are inclusive, that are equitable Um, and that ensure that the space that we're working in is safe and a positive space. It's no longer good enough to just say, well, but I pay you a lot of money. What more do you want? Um, they want a lot more and they expect a lot more. Um, and you're absolutely right. This is not something that's going to go away. This is something that all employers are going to have to address at least larger ones. So again, it might be a good time to sort of, revisit your policies and procedures, workplace policies and procedures. Make sure, are they compliant with human rights legislation? Are they compliant with sort of occupational health and safety legislation, whatever that might be, with employment standards legislation, whatever that might be. Revisit these things and try and get your ducks in a row because, you know, this is one of those things, Cam, where your best defense is a good offense Get ahead of it before it becomes a problem in your company. Don't just assume, oh, well, that happened to them and it's not going to happen to
1: us. They mentioned James in the letter. That's James Watt, who is the the CEO. And actually, after this, this Punks with Purpose letter came out, he also issued a statement to media, which I will now read. Quote, hey, everyone, I wanted to give you all an update in light of the recent Punks with Purpose open letter. At BrewDog, we're focused on building the best business we can, which is why the open letter we saw on Twitter was so upsetting, but so important. Our focus now is not on contradicting or contesting the details of that letter, but to listen, learn, and act. As a fast-growing business, we have always tried to do the best by our team. We do have thousands of employees with positive stories to tell as a result. But the tweet we saw last night proves that on many occasions, we haven't got it right. We are committed to doing better, not just as a reaction to this, but always. And we're going to reach out to our entire team, past and present, to learn more. But most of all, right now, we are sorry. It's hard to hear those comments, but it must have been harder to say them. We appreciate that, and we will endeavor to honor that effort and courage with the real change it deserves. We aren't going to make excuses. We're going to take action from our commitment to sustainability, to our passion for beer. Brewdog has always been defined by taking responsibility and continually improving. This is no exception, James.
2: Yeah. Um, that's not the worst statement. Um, I mean, but I think Kim, if I recall, there were a few, there were a few drafts, right? And he had, if I understand he had circulated one of the draft statements that he had been contemplating ultimately releasing as a response to punks with purpose and circulated it to employees. I'll get to this. Yeah, don't
1: don't, to don't, sign don't, on don't, to it. don't go into this yet. That's still to come, let's look oh, at this I'm statement. Sorry, yeah. Let's look at this statement first. I think, you know, I actually, I think it, it's problematic. So, so number one, there's a pretty major spelling mistake in it which drives me insane and and maybe it's just me but like when you're when you're under the microscope like this i mean it tells me that it wasn't reviewed multiple times or they didn't have a professional look at it which worries me But again minor i guess ultimately but there's a few things missing here one he does say we are sorry i think he needs to say i am sorry because the letter was directed at him They laid the responsibility in the punks with purpose letter at his feet. And he needs to step up himself. I think by saying we are sorry, it's making it a collective responsibility. And as a leader, that may be the case. I do think it is a collective responsibility. But as the leader, he needs to take responsibility directly for this, especially when he's been singled out as the problem. So that's missing. And then a couple of other important things. I I have no idea what he's going to do here he's saying we're going to reach out to our team to learn more that that means absolutely nothing i so he's he, he, there's no action here and there's no timeline for any action either and i think you know when we talk about this you and on in other cases you know we always say like you know you've got to have empathy you've got to connect with people show that you understand the significance of the accusations and the claims being made against you that you really get it and then have some Actions, because otherwise it is just empty words. If you just say we're going to figure out what's happening, that's no commitment at all, and it gives the impression as though you're not taking it seriously. And I think, especially in this case, where you know a lot of the, the the letter makes reference to you know problems have been ongoing and never really addressed. And in his response here, it yeah, it looks doesn't look any different than kind of what what they are claiming. So I, I think the tone is okay, but. I mean, someone should have gone through this, and I think I I can tell that nobody did.
2: Right, or at least, you know, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said you have to convey that you get it, right? That you actually get it, that you understand the grievance. And it doesn't look like that is the case here. But more importantly, I think there's still an assumption, and, you know, we, we, we see this in a lot of the statements that we review on this show, Cam, where an employer... Clearly, even if they think they get it or they're pretending to get it, they still dramatically underestimate the impact of that statement or the impact of the initial grievance itself yep. in thinking that ah, it's no big deal. It's just going to go away. We'll be fine. It'll all blow over. And it doesn't. And you make it worse and it gets bigger. And then all of a sudden we're talking about a, a Scottish brewery on our show. This mm-hmm. is precisely how these things come about when employers don't actually get it, when they don't actually address the issue.
1: This is one of the most frustrating things for a comms person is just e- e- your your executives usually are not trained in comms, obviously. I mean, they're, they're business people. And so they're not as attuned to this as they need to be, but they think think they are attuned <laughs> to it. And that's the biggest issue because it sounds often like communications people are being too risk averse or they're trying to be too careful or they're trying to finesse something. But but actually, it really is from an understanding of the damage this can cause. And, and I do think, and I mean, I've been in so many meeting rooms where, you know, executives are just very confident in their position and don't think it's a big deal. And that's hubris, really. I mean, when you think about it, um, because they're just not able to properly identify the danger. And that is a big problem. And you know, the interesting thing, Ewan, and you you, you mentioned it briefly. So this statement was circulated to staff. And as soon as, you know, James posted this statement and he posted it on, on Twitter, it very quickly, an internal message was shared sort of in a sarcastic way. And the letter, I'm going to just again, read towards the end of it here, Ewan, you can tell me what you think. So it starts right here, quote, because of that, we've prepared the following response on behalf of the current BrewDog crew and also one on behalf of BrewDog as a business, which we are publishing shortly. If you agree with the content and are happy to add your name to this letter, reply to this email with a yes by 1030 a.m. today. So this was sent around before James posted his message. And... It's basically asking for employees to buy in and put their name to it. Now, here's the rest of that statement, Ewan. Quote, if you read this response and feel that your experience of working at BrewDog is more aligned to that of the punks with purpose, please do talk to us about it. Speak to your line manager, contact the people team, reach out to any member of Mission Control. We absolutely need you to be radically honest about this, and we will listen and do everything we can to make things right. We hope you'll read this response and feel proud to be part of the current BrewDog team. Everything we're doing collectively is genuinely making a positive difference to the world around us. And we simply can't allow social media posts to go by without putting our own perspective forward. A group of unhappy ex-employees cannot dictate to the world what it is like to work at BrewDog in 2021. Our experiences are just as valid as theirs, and we need the world to hear our voice too, end quote. This was an internal staff message. Go ahead, Ewan.
2: It's just like you've got the shovel out and you just keep digging. Just keep digging and digging and digging. It started off not great, and then it just continued to get worse. Because look, I mean, they could have said, hey, we're we're aware of this. I, I don't necessarily think that sending a message out or circulating a message to all of your employees is the wrong approach. In fact, I, I think that's actually a very, very good proactive approach, mm-hmm. a very, very good thing to do to say to all of your employees, yes, we're aware of this. We're looking into it. We take it very, very seriously. And we will be addressing it through and through. If you have any comments or if you are aware of any further concerns, please bring them to our attention. I mean, you could have, you, they could have left it at that, but then to then put the onus on the workers. And effectively, the only thing that they didn't say in that message cam was the, or else, Mm -hmm. like, please, if you agree, sign off or else. I mean, think about the position that puts an employee in, right? I, I mean, So if I don't sign off on it, then I guess I'm not supportive of your message as the executive of the company of what it means to be an employee here. Does that mean my job could be at risk? Will there be repercussions? I mean, reprisals. What does that mean to me as an employee? I mean, think about the duty or the obligation you might feel to sign off for no other reason than wanting to protect your job. You should never put your employee in that position. It's the, absolutely awful.
1: The word in the original letter that came out the most was fear. So if, if you've got uh, an environment, a workplace environment that is, that is really driven by fear, then I don't see how anyone could come forward to say that they have a problem and it's calling on them to be radically honest and they will listen and do everything we can to make things Right. It's now, now, again, we don't know what the workplace environment is there, right? Like we have the punks with purpose letter. That's a, there's some serious allegations in there. I think they have to be taken seriously. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily true, but regardless of that, this is just completely unacceptable. I mean, this, this statement undid all of the good that they were trying to do with the public statement, because it basically poked holes in all of it. So we said, you know, that they have to be empathetic and and get how serious this is. Well, obviously they don't because, I mean, it it says in there, we, we can't allow social media posts to go by without putting our own perspective forward. So already he's not identifying this as a problem to be solved. It's a faction that needs to be drowned out or that is small and it needs to be pointed out that they are small and that they're not really representative of the company. Which, which again, is just not taking any responsibility for anything in the letter. I mean, that's a huge problem. He also writes, "A group of unhappy ex-employees cannot dictate to the world what it's like to work at BrewDog in 2021." Yes, they can. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they can. <laughs> and yeah, they and that did. was it's
2: that that was exactly the the, the the passage that I wanted to sort of zero in on as well. I, I mean, it, translation. We, we can't let a few bad apples spoil the bunch, right? That's what he's saying. Yeah. That's what he's saying. He's basically They're dismissing There's just a few them. bad apples. He's
1: dismissing them, right? Like it's just, yeah, he, he's saying this is not like, it this doesn't represent who we are, except except that it does until you can kind of prove otherwise, and at least in the court of public opinion. and And that's where... You know reading based on this sort of internal message it lends a lot more credence to the original accusations because we can see plain as day how he's solving problems you know how he's approaching problems again there's no details in here he wants staff to be radically honest what is he giving them in return just we will do everything we can to make things right is that supposed to instill confidence in 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 staff like I Everything is wrong with this, Ewan. It, it, it's, it's really remarkably unbelievable that, that, that he wrote this. And it's just, you're right, he, he's dug deeper and it's it's undone anything that he was doing before to try and mitigate the risk.
2: Yeah, well, and, and I mean, I I don't know if you're going there. And again, I don't want to steal your thunder. But of course, the, the punks with purpose responded to his. <laughs> to the, to the apology. Right. Um, and there's a, there's a passage again, that was part of part of the apology that really is just, I mean, it's uh, like, I'm dumbfounded reading it. Um, this is the quote, you know, it is fair to say that this type of fast paced and intense environment is definitely not for everyone, but many of our fantastic long-term team members have thrived in our culture our culture is built on rewarding and developing great people, and focusing on growing our business. I mean, you know, once again, you're effectively saying that the individuals who are complaining—and there's not one or two of them, mm-hmm. there's hundreds, <laughs> right? Um, I thought I had—I thought I had seen somewhere, Cam, and perhaps we should double check this because um, I don't want to just say it, but I thought that they—they they were up to hundreds of individuals that had now either signed off um, on the letter. It's more than just the 70, I think. Anyway, um, again, BrewDog's sort of sticking with this line of there was something wrong with them or they're just a few bad apples. And clearly that is just not what's going on here at all.
1: Yeah, this again, we could talk for an hour about this one one thing. So obviously there's a problem. There's some kind of problem inside, because even even if You know, some employees are misunderstood or or some employees were actually problem employees. When you're when you're getting to these numbers of people willing to either sign or or put their initials or or whatever to support a letter. I mean, you, you have a problem. It's a lot of people regardless. And the first thing to do here is to take some time to consider it to talk to your internal people, get some outside, you know, communications and, and probably, you know, HR counsel, all kinds of things to figure out what's going on and be considered about how to deal with it. There is a way to lower the temperature and try and work something out here, but because of the tack that the company took, this has blown up even beyond what it was in the beginning. And I think it's going to do real damage to the brand long-term and I don't think it's done yet because now we're going back and forth, right? Like this is exactly what you don't want is like, you don't want public letters going back and forth. I mean, it's horrible and um, they've opened up that, that channel in this process. And I, 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 I hate to say this, but this is what happened. Like this is what happens when these risks aren't taken seriously and and when there's no, I mean, it sounds like maybe he's either not taking advice, the CEO, or there's not the right people around him to give him advice. I don't know, but but whatever's going on, it's serious, and it's about to get a lot worse.
2: Yeah, and and here here is the number, Cam. I got it. So uh, this is this is part of um, Punks of Purpose, part of their their response. Says we tend to do in response to our letter, which now has over two hundred and fifty signatures, including some current anonymous staff members. were working through adding them to the letter um, now. I don't know if that means that they're all employees. I guess they aren't all employees, but they have two hundred and fifty yeah, they're not sig- all
1: signatures yeah. um,
2: to the letter at this point
1: because the original seventy were, were were former employees, and then mm-hmm. they had forty five current or something like that, but okay. um. Anyway, I, I do think th- th- this is almost a perfect sort of case study. I think this could go down to us. Just like this is what you don't do if you want your business to survive.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa. Hey, check this out. No, no. Wait, wait. Oh, check, it out, check it out. Check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR in Law Podcast.
1: All right. Give us something cool to check out this week, Ewan.
2: Yeah, Cam. I, I listened to – have you ever listened to um, the What Next
1: TBD podcast? On Slate? No, I haven't. But Slate does some excellent podcasts.
2: Yeah, i i, I never listened to it either. It's hosted by uh, Lizzie O'Leary, and it was more the title that sort of caught my caught my uh, my eye that led me to listen to it. But it was actually it was, it was great, and I'll probably listen to some more episodes. The title was "What Space Billionaires Cost Us," <laughs> and mm-hmm. effectively, it was a podcast about. Why are so many billionaires obsessed with space travel right now, Cam?
1: Yeah, Um, I know. And
2: it's interesting. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, yeah. Yeah, Richard Branson. Branson. It seems like a really sort of um, obvious topic, but I'd never never sort of sat back and thought about it. So the the guest on the show was a a Luciano uh, welcome walkowitz and ast- an astronomer at the uh, adler planetarium and founder of the just space allowance so anyway the two of them have a great and really interesting conversation about why the billionaires are so obsessed with space travel and some of these some of the part of the discussion is really interesting so one of the one of the suggestions is that you know there's always been an inherent relationship between tech nerds and science fiction
1: mm-hmm. and, yes and very that, true.
2: And that they probably read a lot of, you know, Asimov and uh, and some other sort of the classic canon of sci-fi writers growing up. So they were always sort of thinking about these issues. It was always sort of ever present in in their sort of cultural milieu as teenagers and twenty yeah. somethings. Um, but one of the other things that I didn't think about is just the money. To be made here and not in sort of the obvious stuff about you know commercial space exploration. And it's the idea of all of the crap that we send into space, satellites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this has almost exclusively been the domain of, you know, um things like NASA, right? And government-funded platforms to get satellites up for telecommunications. So there is a whole industry of money to be made from commercial companies who are sort of prepared to take on this work that, oh, yeah, for sure. you know, up until now has basically been the exclusive domain of the government. Right. Yep.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. And I am actually seeing a bit more about this too. I, I think there's a lot of, yeah, egoism obviously that goes into this too when you've got sort of these powerful men looking at it. Yeah. It, it, I, And you know what the interesting thing is, you went like, I am a technology person. Like I work in technology. I I mean, you know me, I'm huge into this, but I've never been a science fiction person ever. I'm probably going to alienate myself here, but I have never seen Star Wars. I've never watched Star Trek. Uh, These are just things that never like once you start getting into the realm of like, you know, space ideas and like weird, not real things. I'm out. I just can't get into it. But yet. Every time I listen to a, a tech podcast or anything along these lines, or even just in regular journalism, there's so many references to sci-fi stuff. Um, so there's definitely an overlap here. And I, I, I totally get the uh, the reasons behind it, as you touched on.
2: Yeah, well, and just somewhat coincidentally, I don't know if you saw this headline, Cam, but yesterday there was an auction for the spare seat on Blue Origin's eleven-minute maiden voyage into space next right. month, yep. Cam, it started at four point nine million dollars, and the winning winning bidder, um, who has yet to be announced, we don't know who it is, but paid twenty-nine point seven million dollars for a seat uh, next to Jeff Bezos on that eleven-minute yeah, just... maiden voyage.
1: I know there's other wastes of huge amounts of money, but this just seems so ridiculous when there's actual real problems in the world. $30 million for this. I hear you. I hear you.
2: Anyway. And also, uh,
1: lastly, on that point, like, I don't even really like flying, to be honest. Like, I I, it's just not like I I mean, I feel safe. I, I don't actually think that something's going to go wrong. But like, I'm highly sensitive to like sounds of the plane and I'm worried, you know, something might happen. I can't imagine what it would be like getting into it, like a spacecraft and taking off. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just not up for it <laughs> at all. Even if it was free, I wouldn't go. So. Well, you should still
2: watch Star Trek,
1: though, Camp. Come on, oh, oh. yes, that's Star so, Trek. So, Star Trek's great. So everybody tells me. Um, I this week I, I want to actually point to two articles from the same writer. I'm a huge fan of Taylor Lorenz. I don't know if you've come across her, Ewan, but she is. Uh, she got her start actually a, a decade ago, basically covering internet culture, and um, she has done such a good job with that that she she was finally recruited to the New York Times uh, a year or two ago, and and now. With internet culture being so big and so important, she really has blazed the trail for similar positions at other companies. Um, It's now becoming an actual field. And I have alerts for her articles when they come out because I find them so interesting. And there were two recently that I thought I'd sort of group together today. One is on the word chuggy. And we're going to date ourselves here a bit, Ewan, but this is a term that is being used out in the interwebs and in real life that I had never come across do you have any idea what it means
2: uh no and when i saw the word i actually thought that it was pronounced chuggy
1: no <laughs> which, which, chew. which C- pretty much H-
2: tells you everything you need to know about my my level of awareness of this whole thing so
1: it's spelt c-h-e-u-g-y c-h-e-u would be chew right but you made me second guess it and i did go look it up it is pronounced chuggy but basically it, it it kind of is like tacky or basic, but it applies to things millennials like that Gen Z find are ridiculous. You know, so some examples would be like golden goose sneakers, barstool sports, you know, the, the Gucci belts, like things, things that are really, that were popular several years ago, like girl power t-shirts, things like that. And, you know, I think, like these, these terms, these slang terms always, they come and go, but I feel like with the internet, they come and go even faster than they were doing before, or it's just me getting older, actually. I don't know, but I I always am interested in these terms though, as they, as they pop up and you and I, in our age bracket, we're not going to. Not too many of our friends, I think, are dropping the word choogie very often. Um, But it is kind of nice to know what it means regardless. So I'll put a a link to that. And the other one, Ewan, is uh, another internet remarkable story about a 17-year-old who was having a birthday and his friend basically put a a message on TikTok saying it's uh, Adrian's birthday Saturday and uh, meant just for friends, you know, just 20 people or so, whoever followed him. Well, it became a massive event once the invitation just randomly went viral on TikTok to the point thousands of people showed up at Huntington Beach in California and they had to rent a huge facility the day before uh, to, to accommodate so many people, but that fell through at the last minute. The police got involved. It was a huge, huge issue. And there's some remarkable video from Huntington Beach about all these people who showed up for Adrian's 17th birthday.
2: And yeah, uh, I, I'm, yeah. I feel I'm familiar with this story. And, it, and I'm, I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before we see a movie made about it. Because it's totally it's it, it sounds like the plot line of some sort of film. Some comedy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, this this is an insane story.
1: It really is. And like the the birthday party was called Adrian's Kickback. Nobody even knows why, really. But but that's what has really trended everywhere. And Adrian himself now has so many followers on social. And and he's already talking about being an influencer, which I mean, they, they make quite a bit of money these days, although it's hard. It's hard work. But anyway, this is what the Internet's capable of now. Right. I mean, I think we've seen it in a political context. I think you know, when when TikTok people bought up the tickets to the Donald Trump uh, rally uh, in the u s. prior to the election, so nobody actually showed up. <laughs> you know, these sorts of things where you really harness the power of a group or a large number of people. um yeah, it's 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 remarkable. I mean, we've never been able to do this before. And on some level, you and it still feels like this is very new. The internet's been around for twenty five years now, longer. Um, but I I still think we're kind of just scratching the surface on, on the power of the internet to bring people together and to divide them and to cause all kinds of problems. But I think this is kind of a fun yet cautionary tale of that power. So yeah, definitely check it out.
2: So are we better off because of this organizing power or is it it worse Uh, I don't even, I don't even know anymore. It depends what, depends what hour of what day of the week it is, you know?
1: Like there would probably be no QAnon if there was no internet. But yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it is, that is another big discussion actually, because I think the internet's actually caused a lot more problems than people are willing to kind of admit. Yeah. I go back and forth on it too. Uh, Anything else you want to mention you on before we put this one in the books?
2: Well, just that, you know, we're not part of that problem, Cam. We're part of the solution. This podcast is part of that solution.
1: And I'm pretty sure if I advertise my birthday, uh, I'm not going to get 20,000 people. Just a hunch. (laughs)
2: Well, we'll have to try it next year. I guess my birthday (laughs) is next. I'm in November. We'll give it a shot. See what happens.
1: Oh, boy. Well, thank you guys for joining us again today. You know, we do this show every week, so you don't want to miss one. So uh, make sure you subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Mine is Overcast, but you can uh, use whatever you like. We're in all the stores, Uh, Spotify, uh, Apple's podcast service, uh, Stitcher google we're everywhere so wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can follow us on social media of course as well facebook instagram twitter and linkedin and you can subscribe i think i already mentioned youtube and Up. so for you and christy this is Cam mcmurchie light it up
0: this has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and Ewing and Christie. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support.